Welcome to Fountain Springs Online. At Fountain Springs, we believe in showing unconditional love, irrational generosity, and being unwavering in our mission to show people who Jesus is. We are one church in multiple locations that exists to help grow and guide your relationship with Jesus. We are so glad you've joined us today, and we hope that we can encourage, challenge, and support you in your walk with Jesus. Feel free to join us this coming weekend at any of our locations and services, or call or email us so we can help you in any way. We are so glad that you've joined us today at Fountain Springs Online. Now let's turn our attention to this week's message. Just a forewarning, I'm going to talk about hell, so if you thought the series to this point has been rather intense and heavy, you've not really seen anything so far. Now, I know when I talk about hell that the room, even everyone listening, gets split, because a lot of people are like, hmm, heaven, give me some more of that, and, and you maybe agree with that there's, there's evil, there's Satan, and and bad things in this world. I got that. I got that. But chapter 3, the final chapter of this series, when I talk about hell, not all of us believe the same thing about hell. In fact, it's getting really messy when we talk about hell because some people are like, that sounds like a really bad place, so I don't think it exists. God loves us too much to create a hell. Some of the other people, maybe you've seen them on the corner of street corners screaming at people, telling them they're going to hell. And those folks obviously believe 100% in hell. In fact, most of the times that we talk about hell, we're trying to scare people. Have you ever noticed that? It's like, don't talk about hell because just we try to scare people out of hell. And that's not my intent. For so, so Some of you are like, oh, that's the first time I've ever been in church. We're talking about what? My goal, my intention is not to scare you, okay? There's enough of that in this world now, but I do want to inform you. And, and I find it fascinating the conversation about hell splits a bunch. Let me, let me show you some statistics. Here's the first one. A survey was done, a very reputable one, and the folks that completed the survey, 74% of them said, yes, heaven exists. There are folks who have, who have read the Bible, maybe they've heard sermons, maybe they, they grew up being taught heaven. 74% said, it's real, it's locked in. Here's where it gets weird. The same people, same survey, had a very different pin, opinion about hell. 58% believe hell exists. Now just so you, in case you're missing this, 
there are people who, on the same survey, are like, yes, heaven is real, but I'm going to have to deny that hell exists. Heaven, yes. Hell, no. Right? You've heard that, and you're like, what did he just say? Some of you are going to take that way out of context. What you need to know, just I'm going to make brief observation. This doesn't make sense. If you're going to believe, if you're like, I read the Bible, and I like what it says about heaven, and I don't like what it says about hell, so I don't think the writers got it right. See, it's fascinating. You and I, when we're given bad news, maybe it's consequences that we don't like, or maybe you found yourself in a situation that you just didn't care for. A lot of current time, we think we just try to deny that it exists. You're like, yeah, I heard that. I don't think that's, that doesn't sound right to me, so it's not right. You've been doing this since you were a kid. I have too. If you got in trouble, you're like, no, I didn't do that. And you're not saying because you, you, you obviously know you did. You just don't like the idea of the consequences, the ramifications to your choices. In fact, I came across an example of all of us as children. So for those of you who are going to deny this, just get out of the denial phase. I'm going to show you an example of all of us at the different moments when we get caught. I call it the great denial. Take a look. Hey, Jack. Did, did you eat a cupcake? No. You didn't eat a cupcake? No, I wasn't at home. You sure you didn't eat a cupcake? No. Hmm. I thought you maybe had a cupcake. No. No? No. Definitely not? No. Not like in the last couple minutes? No. No cupcake for Jack? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> Some of you, you've raised these children. You're like, oh, uh, I know that. But you and I do the same thing. When we don't like the truth or what's going to happen, we have a tendency to try to deny it, to push it away, to change what is true. Now, this is not new, but it's probably more relevant and prevalent than ever before. I'll give you the philosophical, nerdy description. It's called relativism. That might be true for you, but I have a different truth. <laughs> Many of us have, oh yeah, like you talk to that friend, you work with that person, you're married to them. I don't know where it is in your life, but relativism. It's this idea that what might be true for the person sitting next to you isn't true for you. But just in case there's a mistaken, like I'm reading that, you're like, some of you are like, I like that. No, you actually don't. No. If the person next to you believes in gravity and you have chosen not to, that doesn't change the truth about gravity. So what I would tell you, there are certain absolute truths that you cannot deny. You can't change. You can't tweak it a little bit to maybe fall more in line with your worldview. There are certain truths in life that whether you find them despicable, gross, painful, horrific, ugly, whatever, there are truths that no matter what you think about them, they stay true. Webster's Dictionary spoke, speaks about relativism. Something that is true cannot also be false. 
And, and I would say nowadays, when we have controversial conversations and there's a mixed group, I mean, can you, I mean we all know that there's all kinds of different things to believe. Uh, not just nowadays, always. There's always been all these kinds. Of, as I talk to you about hell, here's what I know. There are some of us who are like, nope, hell is so bad and it's so gross, it's so horrific. God, who loves people, never would create it. I disagree with the existence of hell. If you're like, who thinks that? Lots of people think that. So I have to bring this up. I want to bring this up before I teach you not my opinion, but what the Bible says. The same place, by the way, I went to the same place where we talked about heaven and we talked about Satan and all that, going to the same place called the Bible, and we're going to grab information from there. Uh, but I wanted to give a disclaimer, a warning. When I talk to you more here about hell, do not take relativism and make it the way that you filter and process stuff because you're, in, you're on dangerous territory. There are absolute truths that do not change, and one of them is hell exists. So, I don't know what you were taught about hell. Frankly, me growing up, it was not a regular conversation in the morning on the way to school. My mom did not say, hey guys, we're having a great day. Can we talk about hell for a minute? No, no one does that. Or, or stop doing that, by the way. Hell is not often how we lead conversations and be like, you know, it's beautiful outside. Have you been thinking about hell lately? No, it just, it's not a part of it. So, to make sure that we're clear, let's go through what the Bible teaches. One of the questions you might have, why does hell exist? I'll tell you, but, but some of you might, you might be wondering that. Like, why does hell exist? If, again, if God is so loving and, and kind and generous, if, if God made us, why would he also create this horrific, just nasty place where, where he sends people to it? And, and why in the world, if there's a good God, is there a bad hell? Well, I can give you in, in quick form, short summary, hell exists because God does not tolerate evil. Let, let me give you an example of this. Just So God is good. He is perfect. He is holy. He is set apart. He is absolutely amazing. And if you remember, if you were here for the first part of the series, I talked about how Lucifer got kicked out of heaven because he was beginning to sin, and that sin cannot coexist with God. God is so good that sin can't coexist around, so he kicks it out. He does not tolerate it. He, he chooses to remove it. Hell exists because evil exists, and God's not going to hang out with evil. Let me tell you something, and then we'll move on, just, just to get you to think a little bit I would suggest that hell is actually a sign of God's love. I'll get to that later, but I just wanted to mess with you for a little bit. So if that's why hell was created, who is hell for? I'm not going to make you raise your hands to tell, say, hey, have you ever told someone to go to hell? I mean, we've heard it at least. And I would say maybe after this message, some of us won't say that anymore. Because it's a horrific place. But if you were to ever tell someone that, say something, or maybe you've got a friend who says it, and, and you're like, oh yeah, I've heard that. You're like, what does that mean? And, and, and we like to think, it's, well, it's the person that I don't like or that I'm mad at. Well, it's actually, we have descriptions. We have, we have details, truth in the Bible that tells us who hell is for. The first 
Satan and his demons. Uh, now, most of us are aware of this. We're like, yeah, that's, that's who hell should be for. I, mean, I don't know if you've ever pictured hell. Some of us do. And, and maybe, especially in, in the season of Halloween, there's costumes. And, and your version of hell could be like, okay, there's, there's this gate and there's fire. And it kind of has a red feel to it. And there's this devil guy. And, and he's all in red. And, and he's got a tail and a pitchfork. And he stands there at this gate, right? And that's your version of of hell where, where he's in charge and, and he kind of just drags people in and they have a horrible time and, and, and that's, that's hell. See, some of us, we have a totally wrong view of, of hell. If, if you, if you want a correct view, I can show you what hell looks like. I'll show you. <laughs> yep. I'm here to inform I know some of you are, are cat lovers, and you're thinking, David, you're just joking, and, and you're wrong. I'm not. This is hell. No, I, I, I don't know what your, your version, this would be my, this is what I picture. I'm just telling you what I picture, right? Okay. Some of you are new, and you're thinking, this guy, I don't know. I don't know if he's sane, and I agree with you. But I do want to point something out in all seriousness. If your version of hell is a place where the devil, where Satan reigns and behaves like a king, that's not true. Hell is not Satan's dream location, his happy place, his ideal setting. It's not a place designed to make him happy while humans exist there to be in a bad place. In fact, like I told you, I promise you I will not give you relativism or my opinion. I'll, I'll show you where this comes from. Uh, then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. I just want you to be super clear on this. Hell was created as punishment for Satan and his demons. It is not a good place. It is not a great place, a comfortable place. It's not a place where certain people have certain privileges. And it's, no, no. And in fact, I think sometimes we're so uh, scared of or offended by or just so taboo, the topic of hell, that we've tried to kind of humorize it where we think it's, oh, it's where bad people go to have a party. No, it's not. It's a horrible place. It's absolutely horrific and step one, you just need to know, is created for Satan and his demons. It's a bad place. Now, now so far, a lot of you have, have actually agreed with what I've shared with you from the Bible, that, that hell is real and it was created for heaven and his demons. But, I, but that's, not, that's, that's not the only truth about it. In fact, I might lose some of you here. But i got to tell you the truth. Who is hell for? It's also for unbelievers. Remember, your truth does not make it true. There is just truth. So just so you're clear that I'm not just trying to make something up, I'll, I'll show you in the Bible. He will punish those who do not know God. 
and do, and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. Now listen, there are too many people who call themselves Christians who hear that and see that and be like, yeah. This should grieve you. This should stir something in you that is the opposite of joy. This should do something in your soul and your mind that you're like, that's horrible. And because you think it's horrible and tragic, doesn't change whether or not it's true or not, but it should stir something into you. You're like, no, something must be done. Do not read verses like that and throw it at people. I would argue if you're someone who does that, I'm not sure you're actually a Christian. That verse and other verses in the Bible in the Bible are not meant to beat people up. No. Now some of you, you still you wrestle with that. You see that. You're like, see? See, David? God's not loving. If God was loving, he wouldn't send people to this horrific place that the Bible speaks of. No, no. Then, then God must not be loving. Mm, be careful. To say God is not loving because some people go to hell is to say you're more loving than God. It's to say that you understand love better than God does. You get it. You show it more than he does. To critique the level of love that God shows and to say that he's not giving enough love is to say that you do it better, know it better, process it better, and that basically you're just more full of love, grace, and mercy. And most of us be like, ooh, I'm not saying that. Well, I would agree. You're probably not saying that. I just want to show you the the deficit that you put yourself in when you begin to accuse God of not being loving, all at the same time, God has shown his great love for us. God did not just say, there's hell, good luck. He did not just separate and create a place for evil to, to be eternally, right? He didn't just say that, and be like, you better not mess up because you only got one chance at this life, and you, I sure hope you figure it out. No. In fact, Jesus... You know why we talk about Jesus all the time? Why the mission of this church is to show people who Jesus is? Because God, out of his great love, came to earth and lived like you and I. He was willing to be beaten up and killed so that we wouldn't have to go to hell. In fact, I want to show you a story. Jesus while on earth, told a story, uh, one about heaven and about hell and the whole thing, and, and it's a powerful story. He tells this story, and if you'll lean into it, oh, you'll learn a lot. So here's what I'm going to ask is that you'll lean into this story with, with specifics of, Jesus, what do you want to say to me? He's got the story. He shared the story, and when Jesus tells stories, it's powerful. He doesn't just flippantly put details and, and parts and aspects to the story. He, he says it on purpose. So I'm gonna I'm gonna share a story with you. Lean into it, at least emotionally and spiritually, and be like, "All right, Jesus, what do you want me to see?" Here's the story. There's a rich man 
who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side, like Abraham carried him to heaven, paradise. The rich man also died and was buried. Goes to hell. Jesus tells a story, and, and you and I, in story form, because we tend to kind of listen to stories more, uh, tells us in story form some certain things about hell. So I, again, want to stay out of relativism, relativism and, and share with you the truth. Here's, here's what the Bible teaches us about hell. In hell, there is no comfort. You probably know that, but sometimes we need help to understand why we know that. It's not just opinion or what maybe grandma told you. It's in the Bible. I'll show it to you. In Hades, hell, where he was in torment, I underlined it just in case you like, just read over that word. Where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away, was Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. Don't forget who's telling the story, Jesus. Don't forget what Jesus knows and wants to pass on to you and I. What does Jesus want you to see? I'll make some observations in this. You, you notice words like torment. You notice words like agony and fire. It seems to be so bad for the rich guy. He's in so much agony that a brief moment, if someone would just touch his tongue with a drop of water, <sighs> that's how bad this place is. The Bible gives multiple descriptions of the intensity and severity of hell. The Bible uses descriptors like burning furnace, blazing furnace, burning sulfur, weeping and gnashing of teeth. I believe it's 32 times, I can at least tell you over 30 times in the New Testament, the Bible refers to hell and equates it to fire. The Bible gives a description about hell, though, that should actually bring something into you where you are stirred in a very bad way. Some of us think the worst part of hell would be the fire. You're like, I hate fire. Don't like hot. That's why I live in South Dakota. I like cold. That's not the worst part. Some might be, well, it's, it's the people screaming. The weeping and gnashing of teeth. The people just screaming and crying like I couldn't tolerate that. Okay? Maybe it's darkness. I mean, it's proven now. Right now, it's been proven. You put someone in isolation by themselves in complete darkness, they guaranteed will go insane. Maybe it's the darkness you're afraid of. You know the worst part of hell? It's the greatest part of heaven. In hell, God is not there. God's presence is in heaven, not in hell. And I'll tell you something that you've never experienced in your entire life. You have never experienced the absence of God. 
You're like, well, I haven't been real close to him. Understandably, I understand that. (laughs) We all have those stories. But you have never experienced what it's like to not have the presence of your creator nearby. And in hell, it's not there. You want to know the worst part? That's the worst part. Now, that's not the only bad news that I have to tell you about hell. Uh, In hell, there is no way out. Because not only do you have this intensity of darkness and the absence of God, the weeping and gnashing of teeth, sulfur and fire, blazing furnace, whatever, all this just horrific stuff, there is no way out. You're like, but I thought God loves me where there's like another, another opportunity. There's no way out. I'll show you where I get this from the story Jesus was telling. But Abraham replied, son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted. Comfort in heaven equated. He's comforted here and you are in agony. There's the word agony again. Jesus brings up the word agony again twice. You need to know in Jewish culture, if someone repeats words, pay attention. Jesus brings up agony again. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place, I would argue, out of God's great love. He does not want evil and good to coexist. A great chasm has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. Not only is hell a horrific place, if you just imagine the worst of the worst of the worst, just know it's worse than that. And then amplify it by saying, there's no way out. That's not the last of the bad news. In hell, there are no second chances. Now some of you might think I'm being redundant here, I'm not. You're like, you already made the point that there's no way out and uh, uh, that person does not get another chance. No, I'm talking about for your friends and your family. There's no second chance for you to tell them. And I would make an argument here that if anyone ends up in hell, one of the things that torments them is the fact that they have family members and friends heading to the same place. show you Bible says this he answered then I beg you now I know we flippantly throw that word around too begging people but I would tell you in the seriousness of your life if you've ever begged someone for something you understand how extreme that is so if you've not visualized this rich guy in hell and what is his response to hell well one he wants a little bit of comfort which he's not getting what's the second thing he wants when he's not going to get comfort he is now begging for something and then i beg you father send lazarus to my family for i have five brothers let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment jesus again brings up the word torment abraham replies They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. Now, some of us read this, we're like, oh, cool, Moses, I remember him. Well, 
Moses was not alive at this moment. What is Jesus saying? I can tell you what he's saying. That's the Bible. That's their Bible. That's their Old Testament, as you and I would call it. He's like, listen to the Bible. Abraham replied, they have the Bible. Let them listen to them, to it. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He's like, yeah, they're not listening to the Bible. So raise someone from the dead and put that person in front of my brothers. My brothers will for sure believe if they see a dead person that's now alive telling them how bad hell is. Raise someone from the dead. That'll do it. So then Jesus finishes the story. He said to them, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, if they don't listen to the Bible, they will not be convinced if someone rises from the dead. Said by a man who would rise from the dead. When Jesus tells a story, it's not for the sake of a story. It has eternal ramifications. Every story that Jesus ever tells, you should lean into it and be like, Jesus, what do you want me to see? And Jesus is saying that hell is horrible. The sad thing about our current day, rejecting the truth about hell has led many to reject the truth about Jesus. We're like, hell is so bad, and if that's what God is all about is hell, then I don't want to have anything to do with God, Jesus, or any of that Christian stuff. All the while, hell is actually something you don't have to go to. That's why the Bible's clear. In fact, if you're like, well, what does the Bible say about not going to hell? Glad you asked. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you. Oh, some of you should write that down, put it on your mirror, maybe tattoo it all over your body. I don't know, but instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone, anyone, not wanting anyone to perish. I've gotten pushback once or twice on the fact that we as a church are a church that believes anyone and everyone is welcome. You wanna know where we got it from? Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. If you have the belief that God is not loving because hell is there, then please also believe this. God doesn't want you going to hell. Never did, never will. Let me show you something in Romans. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. He's demonstrated his love. He's locked it in. Don't ever question it. If you question it, just remind yourself here. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God loves us. He really does. Do not let this idea that because hell exists mean to you that, uh, well, then God doesn't love you. No, 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 no. Is it is a sign of love. Heaven should be a sign of love that God wants to be with us for eternity, but he's got to separate. If, I, if, if heaven's going to be full of amazingness, 
then all of the non-amazingness needs to go somewhere else. Do not let your logic stop with the great. Let hell be what it is, true. So what do you learn in a message about hell? Do not be scared by it. Do not be threatened by it. Tell you what, uh, accept victory over hell. You know, like, why does a pastor bring up hell? I mean, I thought, like, we're supposed to just talk about love and hugs. No, definitely not hugs. Accept victory over hell. You have victory offered to you. You never have to get a hint of hell. Accept it. You're like, well, how do I accept it? Very simple. It's not all of a sudden becoming perfect. It's not all of a sudden creating this perfect attendance chart for church. It's not about stopping your cussing. It's not, a, it's not about the behavior part of it immediately. It's about what do you believe? Do you believe Jesus is who he said he is? Is that he came for us. He paid our penalty, everyone's penalty for sin. You know that imperfection that could not coexist with God? He paid for it. He covered it. So when God sees you, he sees Jesus' sacrifice. He doesn't see all the junk you did. Cover. Accept that victory. Now, some of you have. You're like, oh, I've done that. Yeah. You remember the moment. Some of you have, you have dates attributed to it. You remember when you accepted that victory. I encourage you. Accept it. I'll help you here in a little bit. If you never have, like, what do I do? How do I do that? But some of you already have, so you're like, so what do I do if I've already accepted victory over hell? I'm glad you asked that question too. Here it is. Lead others to victory. If you've already accepted it, then your charge by your creator is to lead others to it. Some people are like, well, what's my purpose in life? Lead others to Jesus. The mission statement of this church is to show people who Jesus is. If you want to know why the church was created, if you want to know why you're here, it's to glorify God, and when you get that, you share it. You know what's been messing with me? And this is just to get real personal with you. As I studied and studied the story that Jesus told, a question would not leave me. And I'm, I don't know what this will do for you, but at least it's for me. This question has messed with me. What if the pleading of the rich man is not just a story? What if in this whole story that Jesus is telling a group of people, and he's telling about heaven and hell, and some are interpreted, is this a parable, or is this a, a specific story about specific people? But what if, what if the pleading, what if the pleading of the rich man is not just a, a random part of the story? What if? This is what's messing with me. What if Jesus put the part about the pleading and the begging. What if Jesus is fully aware that every second in hell, that's what's actually happening? What if right now and every second that follows, all day and all night, the weeping and gnashing of teeth is not just about physical pain. What if it is about that their loved ones don't know who Jesus is? What if the pleading is real and constant? That'll mess with you. See, here's what I would argue. 
the two places most passionate about showing people who Jesus is? I would say is heaven what you expect, but I would also say hell is as well. But it doesn't have to stay there. You and I can do something. John 5, I tell you the truth, those who listen to my message, those who listen to my message, do you know for someone to listen to a message, someone's got to deliver it? Very simple, but those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me have eternal life, they will never be condemned for their sins. But they have already passed from death into life, speaking spiritually. So, in my preparation for this series, I have dug and studied and read and prayed. And there was in some of the reading a quote that I have shifted a bit and made a prayer. Again, I'm hoping that what's personally going on in my life may mean something for your life. Here's the prayer. My prayer is that when I die, Satan rejoices that I'm out of the fight. And I have days that I'm not even close to that. By the way, for those of you like, well, that's what pastors are supposed to do. This is what Christians are supposed to do. My prayer is that when I die, that evil breathes a slight relief. I wonder that in my own personal time, this might transfer to you where maybe some would be willing to own this. If you want to know, what do you do with the sermon or the facts about hell? You do not get afraid of it. You wake up to it. You get up and you, some of you will go parent. Some of you will go to school. Some of you wake up and you go spend time with friends, some of with coworkers, with family. May you understand, if hell is real, which it is, use it. And I will tell you this, just to give you a little sight into the future. We're about to launch a new series about what a healthy Christian does in life. So here's my words of wisdom for you. If you don't want to know that, don't come to church the next three weeks. If you're content with life and you're like, I don't want to know how to live the full life, don't come to church at all. Don't, don't watch online. Go do something else. But if you want to know how to make a statement like the prayer I read you, I dare you to show up the next few weeks because 
the pleading and begging that I believe is going on, I want to do something about it. Hope you do too. And I told you we talked about claiming victory. Some of you need to claim victory today. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to bow your heads, close your eyes. I want you to be freed up from distraction. The only point of this is that you're just freed up from distraction. And if you're ready to claim victory, you've never given your life to God. Like, you know what? I choose God's way, God's will. And you're ready, then let me help you uh, just privately speak this to God, silently speak it to God. God, I believe now. I follow you now. God, I believe Jesus paid the penalty for my sins. And I believe now, I follow you now. God, give me strength. Give me peace. God, I love you. I am now yours. I follow you now. Thank you for victory. God, I pray for everyone listening. Those who have accepted victory a long time ago or just now in this moment. Lord, we ask that you, you prompt us, challenge us to show people who you are. That there is great news, good news, victory that needs to be shared. God, help us to know who to speak to, how to speak to them. But God, you are so loving. And we just want to tell you that I know you know that. <laughs> but we love you. Lead us, Lord, as a church and as individuals to live in the truth that both heaven and hell are real and forgiveness is real. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.